In a not-so-stable world, it is crucial to amplify the right message. At the Stream Grace Network, our goal is to do just that. We are adding to our stable of podcasters every month, and we are growing. This is where you come in. We want to share in that growth. If you are a small business owner looking to grow your business, we'd love it if you'd consider allowing one of our podcasters to endorse you, your products, or services. The best part is that endorsement will never stop running in any episode it is a part of, ever. This is a unique and rare benefit in digital advertising. We want everything we do to be uplifting and to encourage positive growth. And we'd love to partner with you. For more information, visit us online at StreamGrace.com or email us at support at StreamGrace.com. God bless. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You Podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Renewed You podcast. We are so glad that you are with us today. The whole point of this podcast is to talk about how mental health, spiritual health, and physical health are the three key ingredients to helping us live our best life ever. And today's Uh, broadcast is sponsored by New Life Church. New Life Church is a new church coming to South Oklahoma City early in 2021, and we are glad that they are sponsoring today's podcast. You can check out their services and learn more about New Life Church by visiting their website at newlifeokc.org. Today we're going to be talking about mental health specifically, and um, there's a great quote by an actress named Glenn Close. She said, what mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, and more unashamed conversation. And I completely agree with that. In in fact, I would go so far as to say in my life, I'm coming to understand that everybody's got some kind of mental illness and something that they can work on. And one of the worst things that we all do is try to go through life and deal with our issues all by ourselves. And uh, I want to introduce you today to my guest is Miss Teresa Davis. Miss Davis, before she says hi to everybody, I want you to know we have a relationship. We are friends first, but this lady has been a major influence in my own personal growth, um, helping me deal with some major things in my life. And um, it's just an honor to have her on this podcast. Teresa, how are you doing? Good. Well, thanks for being with me. Teresa's, Teresa's joining me on FaceTime today. Gotta love the whole COVID thing, but um, we're glad that you are with us today. Uh, Teresa, you are a counselor. You've got a doctorate. I mean, you're a pretty, pretty intimidating woman, you know. Um, tell everybody a little bit about you. Okay. Um, I have my bachelor's degree from MidAmerica Bible College. I got that um, in behavioral science and Bible theology. 
I got my master's at Oklahoma City University in counseling psychology, and I got my doctorate at Argosy University in uh, pastoral and community counseling. I've been a counselor for 20 plus years, probably. And probably the thing that I deal with the most is sexual addiction, ADHD, and marriage counseling, and anger management. Those are the things I do the most, but I pretty much do all of them. So how did you get get interested in helping the mentally unstable people like me? <laughs> well, if I was to get down to the core issue of it and be completely honest, it's because I was so mentally unstable myself. Oh, you people were? into this business are usually people that have their own issues. Um, it was purely... Well, you know, the world would say by accident, but I would say it was totally a God thing. Uh, we were living in Texas, and I was going to a small Bible college in my um, church. And we came up here to visit our family in Oklahoma City, and we drove past Mid-America Bible College. And I looked over at it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that I would be going to school there someday, which was really weird because we lived in Texas. And mm. fast forward. Long story short, I ended up going to Mid-America. And the only reason I went there was because I wanted to study the Bible. And it was a Bible college. But when I went up there to enroll, they told me I had to pick a um, major. And as I thought through the majors that they had, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a worship leader. Um, Behavioral science was, I said, well, I went to counseling and it helped me. Maybe I'll just take some behavioral science classes. And that's how I got started. So you said that you just said right there that you went to counseling. Why did you need to go to counseling? I was a mess. Well, talk came about that. From, came from a very dysfunctional and abusive background. And I didn't know it. When I was 27 years old, one of my friends asked me how come I freaked out every time I saw any kind of abuse or heard about any kind of abuse. I said, I don't know, I guess because I went through that. And she asked me and I gave her some details and she said, you need some counseling. <laughs> <laughs> and I started going to counseling. And what did, what did the counseling help, help you to do? Get healing. Get healing. How, how did that work? Because, you know, there's some people who think that if you go to counseling, uh, that's a weak sign. Of course, I would be one of those that used to be in that camp too. And then you go through it and you realize number one, that weakness is trying to handle life all by yourself. That's weakness. Strength is when you get other it people. It takes a your, lot more strength to go to counseling. It does. Strength comes when you get other people in your life and you're able to just kind of come clean and let uh, someone else kind of help you see the, the in fact, I love uh, the uh, artist pink. Um, for those of you that are listening, yes, I do read a lot of, of books now about mental health because I'm just so fascinated by it. Um, and Pink, she had a quote one time that she said um, she loves counseling because counseling shows her her blind spots so she has something to work on. Yeah, that's good. And that really is what 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 counseling does for people. Um, but. I still, I'm kind of fascinated when you say you were mentally unstable, you said there was some abuse or whatever. Um, how did, uh, without getting too deep, how did the counseling help you heal for somebody who has kind of a misunderstanding about what counseling really does? 
Well, the counselor had an ability to get down to what the root issues were and why I was very angry. That was the main thing. And my anger was out of control. I was very verbally abusive and very physically abusive to my kids. And we had to get to the root of why I was angry. And so when we got down to the abuse, then she took me through the steps of going to God and getting healing for those things. And I can talk about those abusive things now, and there's no emotions attached to them. I didn't forget them, and I don't think God allows us to forget him because he wants us to remember how far he's brought us. But there's no pain. There's no emotional attachment to those things anymore. They're just stories. So she walked me through the steps of getting healing for those painful memories that I had. And once the more I got healing, the freer I got. And of course, it's still an ongoing process today. It's not something that happens, you know, in 1987 and then you're done. Right. But I think that is, I think what you said there, though, is true because all of us have a story. Um, All of us have lived through pain. And um, I know I have, but there is a difference now. Um, My wife was the first one to notice it, that. I can talk about things from my past now and I don't get as nearly as emotional now it, because there's, and I think from, from me, the, the shame has really been dealt with. And I think that's where a lot of that emotional connection was. Um, you realize right. that, that in some ways um, you think you're healing yourself by telling your story and getting it out there when really what we're doing sometimes if that shame hasn't been dealt with is it's just kind of embedding and cutting us all over again. Um, uh, because shame turns it around and can and uh, can condemn us. Um, do you think? Do you see in your practice that most people's hurts are from their childhood still? I mean, I've heard that, but is that true? I would say most. There are some that are from like previous marriages or even things within their current marriages. But a lot of times, even those hurts that were caused by maybe a spouse, there's a root issue even underneath that. So I would say most people's are as a result of something that happened in their childhood. And most people say, that was a long time ago. I don't want to have to go back there. I've forgotten that. That's the past. That doesn't have anything to do with my problems today. But it very well is what the problem stems from. Why do you think people don't want to go back and and dig those up? It hurts. Yeah, it, it hurts because you got to dig through those emotional attachments that are still there. And I know from right. for me, I think for me, I think I wanted to I thought by ignoring them, their <laughs> their uh, hold would lessen. Um, and that's not the case at all, because as soon as you let your mind go back to those issues, they're still there. You know, they're there and you start playing this mental uh, gymnastics game in your mind of, well, if I just won't think about it, then it's not really real anymore. And, and yet. One of the things that I say constantly is any feeling, any emotion, anything that you've dealt with that is not validated will come out someday, sometime, usually in the most inappropriate ways. Okay, say that one more time, because you've said that to me, but I want you to say it one more time. I want to ask you a question off of it. Okay, any emotion, any feeling, anything from your past hurts that have not been validated will come out someday, somehow, some way, 
and usually in the most inappropriate times and ways. Okay. When you, s- gonna- when you say validated, what do you mean by that? Well, it's several different things. Uh, validating first is verbalizing it to someone that you trust and come into a place of understanding that those feelings are real and those feelings are true and you even have a right to feel that way. But understanding that God can heal those hurts and taking them to God and letting God vil- validate them and heal them so that you can be free of them. Okay, so verbal. So when you say um, uh, validating, are you meaning that we just we accept that they're there and we we deal with it? We we don't ignore it. We we're it's not validating like we're giving it power. It's acknowledging it's there so we can take away its power. Right. Right. And and sometimes we have to validate our own emotions because there's not the person that's involved in hurting you, you can't get those people to validate your emotions. So sometimes it's about validating your own emotions and maybe have an explore validate your emotions. Sometimes it's just hearing that you're normal. And that was a huge one for me. I wanted I want everybody to understand something. I remember and, and I've I've told this a lot, um, but I remember uh it, it took me a few sessions to where I really felt comfortable opening up. I mean, um uh I mean, you know me, we're we're even in the same church, you know. So um it just took a while, but I remember when I started opening up and telling you one of those deep, dark, secret things and the pain, you know, I went on and on and on. And I remember you saying, you know what? You could have stopped after 10 minutes. Cause I've heard all this before. And I was like, what? And you made this statement that has stuck with me. Pain is pain. It doesn't matter really how it comes into your life. We, I thought my pain was different than everybody else's pain. Of course. Yeah. And but by going to counseling and getting it out and hearing someone go, yeah, your pain is not any different than anybody else's pain is pain. Doesn't just pain. And so counseling, folks, is one way. If you want to look at it that this way in a simple terms, it's kind of the best pain management you can go through. Yeah. Emotionally pain, man. Emotional pain management. It really, really is. So if you're listening today and um, uh, you would like some help finding a Christian counselor in your area, um, we're going to put an email address in the description here and you can email us and uh, we'll try to, we've got a network now uh, where we have access to some Christian counselors that we'll be happy to try to find some for you. But everybody needs to strongly consider going to counseling because we all have trash in our minds and we need to go through the trash and get rid of it. And, um, I just, I want to strongly encourage you to do that. You mentioned ADHD, you know, that ask you a question. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Was it that bad? Was what that bad counseling going through all of that? Not once you start the process. No, exactly. It was, you have a, Fear is a lot bigger than what it actually ends up being. It really is. And there's just like I believe, I totally believe there is a stigma against mental health that needs to go away. Um, I think there's a stigma about counseling, too. It's like, well, you must really be bad if you're going to counseling. And now it's like um, 
Counseling is just like going to the gym for me. Talking with someone is like going to the gym for me. It's I'm working out my brain. I'm working out my feelings. I'm working out my emotions. Those are just as vital to me as my body. So why would we spend hundreds of dollars a year to clean our teeth, but we won't invest money to clean our mind, which is the key to all of our decisions. Right. It, it, it affects every area of your life. A lot of the emotional stuff you deal with comes from it. A lot of the spiritual stuff you co- deal with comes from it. A lot of the physical stuff that you deal with comes from it. It really does. You mentioned ADHD. That's something I know that that is uh, something that is important to you um, that you deal with. Talk, talk about how that played into your life and into your Uh, business and ministry? When I was in my bachelor's degree, I had to go through a class called, I think, Abnormal Behavior. And during that class, as we went over the characteristics of ADD, I realized, gosh, I was probably ADD when I was a kid. But I grew up in the 60s, and that was not a diagnosis then. And so, you know, it was kind of in the back of my mind while I went into my master's degree and I was doing my internship, and one of the supervisors in our in- internship pulled me over to the side one day, and she said, Teresa, I think you have ADHD. I was like, I'm an adult. How do I have ADHD? And she said, that's old mindset. They used to think that only kids had it, but we've now learned that it goes into your adulthood. And a lot of times, you don't see it for a while, but then you get into the stressful part of life, and it comes out worse. And so we started, she helped me, and she gave me a book to read that, read that just totally opened my eyes. Um, it's called Driven to Distraction, and it's written by a um, uh, MD that found out himself that he was ADD when he was a kid. And it's it was such an eye-opening book to me. And so I began, I'm one of those type of people that when I experience or I learn something, I dig. I want to learn more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So I started learning as much as I could about ADD so I could help other people. So how did you deal with your ADD? Well, I was against medication. And so I decided that I was going to deal with it with God. And and I'm not going to lie and say that didn't work because it did work. Um, God helped me change a lot of things because a lot of our behaviors we think we can't control, but when we go to God, God can help us to control those things, even if it is caused by ADD. But I didn't know until I took the first pill how much difference medication made in my life. And I was hooked. It <laughs> changed my life. First pill. What what uh, what caused you to, to get hooked? What, what was the difference? What did you notice? The first thing I noticed, and I didn't even know it at the time, was the anxiety. I took this pill and this knot that I had in my stomach all the time was completely gone. But I could carry on a conversation without getting off into tangents. I could pick a book up and read it and stay focused. Um, Noises didn't bother me as bad. You know, the longer I was on the medication, the more I realized that maybe some of my behaviors, like my impulsive speech, things that I would just blurt out and say without thinking first, God convicted me and helped me to work on those. But areas like being able to stay focused, those areas didn't change until I took medication. Right. So it's not really um, for you and your experience. It wasn't just 
a physical way that needed to to help you deal with ADD, but it really was both. It was both. And I think, do you think sometimes for those that are in the Christian world or the spiritual world, um, they think that that's supposed to fix everything. Right. And but the problem is a chemical imbalance in your brain. And it's not that God can't heal that chemical imbalance. He can, but sometimes he uses a process instead of a immediate miracle. Exactly. And we have to go through that process. And so you have to be willing to do it whichever way God leads you to do it, not just stand on, I'm standing on my miracle and keep waiting and waiting and suffering the whole time while you're waiting. It's like, I've got a headache, but God is going to heal it. God is going to heal it. God is going to heal it. You're laying on the floor crying because you have a headache and you could take an aspirin. Right. Right. I think sometimes, um, maybe you'll agree with this. I think sometimes as Christians, we can go to God because uh, we want him to fix things so we don't have to go through the pain of getting ourselves fixed. Absolutely. And it really is, um, it, it really is both. And sometimes um, if God, if God had just fixed me, I would not be a stronger person today, but I'm stronger because of what I went through. Right. Um, you know, some and people you learn and you, you know, God takes those things. The enemy means for bad and turns them around and makes them good. You can use that knowledge that you got to help other people now. Most definitely. And, and that's the beauty of of getting healthy in our mind. Why? So you had your own issues mentally. You dealt with it through some medication and you dealt with it spiritually. You, you, you deal with, dealt with some of those. Um, why then, um, is, is mental health something in our society that isn't accepted as vital? Why do you think there's this stigma against it? I think, a lot of it has to do with age. People that are, I'm going to guess, 40, 45 or older, um, you know, back in the 60s, the 70s, there really was only psychiatrists. There wasn't a lot of counselors or therapists. And it, there was a stigma. You had to be crazy to go to a psychiatrist and to get medicine to help you. You literally had to be crazy to do that. But as, you know, education grew and people learned and more people became counselors, it became more of a acceptable thing. Um, now, if you're a teenager, this just cracks me up every time I hear it. That's something they get to go to school and brag about. I have my own counselor. Yeah. I had so many teenagers that think it's a, you know, status quo, you've got to have your own counselor that you can go to. So I think today it's a lot more accepted than it was even 20, 30 years ago. Most definitely. Um, why, why do you think that people don't take mental health seriously? They don't think that they're, that, well, one of my pet peeves, probably my biggest pet peeve is, is people that think they don't have issues. <laughs> yeah, that would have been me, by the way, folks. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of my biggest pet peeves. And usually, not always, but usually those people that don't think they have issues are the ones that are always pointing their fingers at other people. Mm -hmm. And so you have to come to that place of understanding that you have issues before you're going to get help. 
and people don't want to admit that they have issues. And Johnny, it's a whole lot easier to blame everybody else around you for things that are going wrong. Exactly. When I was in the midst of mine, I seriously thought that if everybody else around me would change, my life would be perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I can, I can, I can kind of identify with that. But you're right. Most of us don't want to admit we have problems. Again, to admit we have problems means we're weak, means there's something wrong with us. And in a society that can't be told that they're wrong, first of all, nobody is wrong. Everybody is their own person and everybody has their own truth and they need to live out their own truth. Well, that can't be right. I mean, I can't say that three plus three is six and that's my truth. And you say three plus three is four. One of those is not right. So there is not this wideness of truth that, that our culture wants to believe in to, to give place to everybody to just kind of act on their impulses. Um, most of us need to get some help because folks, we are living in a shattered world. We're not living in a broken world right now. This thing, this whole culture is shattered. And um, if we don't think that even what we've been going through this year with this whole in 2020 with this whole COVID thing, man, I would bet when we come out of this thing, counselors offices are going to be exploding with people dealing with depression and anxiety and um, suicidal tendencies. I mean, this, I don't think you can go through something like this and it not affect you. Can you? No. No, and I've seen interviews with a lot of counselors and psychiatrists where they, you know, they're doing it all online. I mean, on uh, Zoom or Skype or whatever. They're not even having people in their office and they can't they can't keep up with the demand right now. And it isn't even over yet. Yeah. Well, I just I I hope that uh, that if if uh, all things are equal, that um you'll be able to continue to help people like you have helped me. And um, in fact, I just want to, in fact, I'm just going to go right here. So folks, listen to me. I'm someone who is a lot better today than I was two years ago, but I'm still not whole. I'm not done. I don't think we're ever done. Once you start down this road of, and you get through the first big issue in your life, it is a to start going through stuff and you just want to get better when you realize yeah. that you can get better. Um, you don't have to be ruled by your emotions. Do you think somebody who's ruled by their emotions is mentally unstable or has mental issues that needs help? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not healthy to make decisions out of emotions. That's never healthy. Give, give me an example of what you're meaning. Well, take after a death, you know, somebody is grieving and they're, they, you know, everyone is told wait a year before you make any major decisions because you're making decisions out of your emotions and your emotions aren't stable right now. Well, if you've got somebody that's always emotionally unstable, how can they ever make healthy decisions? Okay. So let's just dig a little bit here. You know, someone may be listening today and they, they hear the term emotionally unstable and they're like, well, that's not me. So what would be some descriptors of an emotionally unstable person? Anger? Yeah. Highs and lows. Um, Easily offended. That's a big one. Why, Uh, why Why is that a big one? Easily offended. Yeah. Because people think they have a right to be offended when somebody does something they don't like. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think that's 
you can't support that biblically. The Bible says don't return evil with evil, but with compassion. So somebody who gets offended easily um, is probably someone who is living life with a very self-centered point of view. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And I mean, you see that constantly in marriages. And, you know, I have so many couples that come in and say, he, he pushes my triggers. He, he does it on purpose. He knows they're my triggers. And my, my response to them every single time is, why do you have triggers? <laughs> well, because God made me that way. He made me with triggers. He, he didn't? No. <laughs> if, Those triggers are a result of your past. Well, if God doesn't make us with triggers, and if someone just flies off the handle for no reason, um, or um, is always defensive... Um, and, and God didn't make us that way, then where do the triggers come from? You say the past, but come on, go deeper, Teresa. What do you mean the past? Unresolved issues, unresolved hurts. Oh, so I you're, mean, you're talking about those things that, that need to get validated. Right. I'll just take my own story, for example. Because I came from so much abuse, when I felt like, somebody was abusing me and it didn't have to be a physical abuse. It could be an emotional abuse. It could be any kind of abuse. I lashed out immediately. That was my way of dealing with the situation of feeling like somebody was coming after me in some way. And that I can promise you, it was very inappropriate. It was not healthy at all. And it all went back to the fact that I was abused as a kid, never got healing for that. So any kind of my perceived abuse, I attacked. Well, okay. So was it hard for you to find love then because of those issues? Did it impact your relationships in your life? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Because the only person, the only person that has stuck with me through all of this is Brad. Brad is your husband. Right. Brad Davis. Um, so he stuck with you through the the flip outs. Lots. Did we lost lots of friends and people that were friends of ours that we would get into big fights with. And of course, I would always think it was their fault. They did something wrong and never got to that place of understanding that maybe I played a part in that. Right. So for so for those that are listening, let me see if I can um, kind of analogize what we're talking about here this way. If you have a hurt that you experience, whether it is physical, emotional, or mental, it doesn't matter whether it's done to you or you've done it to yourself. You haven't, it's like an exposed nerve. It's always there. And so then if, as you go on throughout your life and someone does something that's even remotely close to that nerve, signals a reaction and what you may not realize if you're someone who has anger issues and you're blowing up at your family or your wife um, or whatever, usually you're not really blowing up at them because of what they've done. What it really is, is that thing that's still there that needs, that needs to be validated and that needs to be dealt with. So if you want to heal your marriage, men, the best thing you can do is go to counseling and let someone help you go back to all those nerves that are exposed, work through them, and you'll find that you're not responding the same way. It, it, it was never my wife. My wife was not the reason I was angry. My kids were not the reason I was angry. 
they were bearing the brunt of an issue that went all the way back to when I was eight years old that never got dealt with. And don't you think, Johnny, that now life is easier? For me, yeah. <laughs> life is fun now. I mean, I still have bouts where um, I have the, that habit of uh, kind of responding quickly, but now I grab a hold of it almost immediately and and uh, put it down and and uh, have much more control over your emotions and your temper or whatever. Um, so that's one. There's two different processes to counseling. The first part is getting healing. The second part is learning new coping skills. And that was my issue. I got my healing in 1987. And, and that was great. I, I needed that. But I didn't realize that I needed new to learn new coping skills. And God has such a sense of humor. He does things to us that you can't even explain. When I was in my master's degree and I went to do my internship, I went to a place called Parents Assistance Center, and they were the people that dealt with the people that had lost their children through DHS for some reason. My first assignment at that agency as an intern in my master's degree was doing anger management classes. At one point, I was doing five anger management classes a week. Wait, wait, wait. You were doing anger management classes, but you had an anger issue. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so how did go on with the story? How did this go? The more I spoke, the more I got convicted. The more I taught, the more I got convicted. It, I mean, that was God. That was God's put, way of putting it in my face and saying, "You've got to learn some new coping skills." Mm -hmm. And so, from eighty-seven till let's see, probably ninety-seven, ninety-eight, I still had that anger, even though. I had gotten healing for what caused it because I never learned how to handle those difficult situations in a different way. I still had triggers. And in the back of my mind, I knew it because the kids would say things to me like, Mom, why do you have to yell all the time? Mm -hmm. But then the phone would ring in the middle of me yelling and I'd go, hello. Right. I controlled it for other people. So in the back of my mind, I knew that that I something needed to be fixed i just didn't understand it until i started teaching it right so the triggers that that were that you and i are talking about i know what that means you know um for those that are listening that don't it, it's it's the the um thing that someone does that uh, that initiates a reaction out of you or a response it we'll call them buttons buttons okay a button um but for so many people I, and I'll just say for me, I spent so much time trying to deal with the triggers without dealing with the pain that the triggers were tied to. Right. And I think for Christians, if we're not careful, we can approach Christianity almost from a standpoint of that Christianity is um, a means of controlling your morals and controlling your actions when really Christianity is all about healing your pain. And here, Johnny, that's a really valid point. Here is one of my, my biggest problems when it comes to mental health is the church does not teach it. It doesn't confront it. It doesn't, in, the, in a lot of ways, it doesn't support it. And they almost talk down and, and they will make people feel bad because they're taking medication. You should be asking God to heal you, not taking medication. 
they don't understand chemical imbalance. They don't understand um, unresolved hurts. You know, I heard this story about a guy that had a sexual addiction. And um, he he was a, a kid in the, in his youth group, and he went to youth camp. And and actually, it's Mark Lasser. He's one of the big name people in working in uh, sexual addiction. And he said his youth leader told everybody to write down what their biggest problem was, write it down on a piece of paper, and they threw it in a barrel and caught it on fire. And said, "Okay, now you're healed of that. You've given it to God. He's burned it up. Go home. You're you're you'll be fine now." And the next day, he went and got a, a porn magazine. Huh. And so he thought he was a horrible, terrible person because he had given it to God, and then he went and did it anyways. It's because the church simplifies it so much, and then people beat themselves up because they don't get better. So how did he get better? <laughs> the truth? Yep. Um, Come on. He got caught. Mm-hmm. He was a counselor in a church. And he was having affairs with women in the church, and the board of the church fired him mm-hmm. and took him in their car to his wife's and made him tell his wife what happened. And he went impatient, and you know now he's a big advocate for helping people that have sexual addiction. But this was when he was a teenager, and he was well into his adult life before he got the help that he needed to get right. away from. Right. And felt guilty the whole time because— the church taught him that all he had to do is pray about it and God would take it away. Right. Well, let I want to do I want to say something to that if I might may because um you know, our church we're going to make it a hallmark and we've already done it. Um I know you haven't you don't get to come because of the things that are going on right now, but hopefully you heard a little bit of the baggage series which was a lot of stuff that you I've learned from you and others as I've been dealing with stuff. Um, we're going to make it a hallmark at New Life that we're going to talk about mental health because God didn't just come to save my soul. He came to change my mind and give me some a new way to think. So when someone asked me one time um, during that series, do you really think that mental health and counseling is a God thing? Don't you think we should pray and let God fix it? And I responded this way. My son has a banana allergy. He doesn't eat bananas. Is that a problem on God's fault? Does he need to be healed of that? Or does he just simply not eat bananas? I have a friend who is a diabetic who has an insulin pump. Nobody wants to walk up to him and say, you need to be healed of diabetes. You shouldn't have to have an insulin pump. Right. There are bodies are intrinsically tied to sin and death. Not everybody is exactly the same. And so if someone can take something that the body is lacking to help them live a fuller life, go for it. But by the same token, we have to realize that we are not just physical beings. We are spiritual beings. And both of those need to be addressed. Do you agree with that? Right. Yes. And I, And the thing that I tell people when they come to counseling is, yes, this is going to be hard. I think I said that to you several times. You did. Johnny, this is easy. This is going to be hard. But it's so fun for me as a counselor to watch people get free, a little bit more free every time they come in and have a little bit more peace in their life every time they come in and 
have a little bit more joy in their life. There's such a growth that happens. That's probably the main reason I keep doing what I'm doing is because it encourages me to see the change that's happening in people's lives. No, it's not fun. And no, it's not easy mm-hmm. for that temporary bit of time. Right. But the end result of it is life-changing. Right. I think one of the, there's another issue I want to bring up um, that you and I have talked about again, for those, those of you that don't understand when you go through something like what I went through in my life and you begin to find healing, um, I'm the kind of person that I just start chewing and consuming anything and everything I can get a hold of, uh, to help me learn more. Um, and one of the things that I've learned that I didn't even think about, I mean, I I really didn't, um, you know, I'm into physical health. I'm into bodybuilding. What I understand that what I put in my mouth affects the quality of what I'm going to build in my body. That makes complete right. sense. You know, right. if, if you're going to build muscle, you got to eat more protein and going to lose weight. You got to eat less sugar and carbs and all that jazz it makes total sense. Right. But we forget that everything we right. eat, everything we drink cycles through our brain. Yeah, and that's true. And what we eat can contribute to mental health issues. And I never knew that. Yeah, Dr. Amen is really, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's really big on uh, talking about diet and having a balanced diet and getting away from all the preservatives and, the you know, eating. Uh, I think he's like Julian Michaels. He says, if it has a mother or it grows from the ground, then it's healthy to eat. You know, that's... People don't think about that kind of stuff, especially if you're dealing like ADD kids. I mean, parents are feeding them McDonald's and wondering why they're having so much problems with them. So why do you think McDonald's uh, affects ADD? Because I do. I, I mean, we've talked about this, but can you just share a little bit of, of that belief? Well, like you said, in order for your body to be healthy, you have to have high protein. For your brain to be healthy, you have to have high protein and less carbs. So Dr. Uh, Amon, I think, recommends 75-25. Who have you ever heard say that before? Right. Nobody teaches that. But 75% protein going in makes your brain stronger and helps your... A brain will heal itself to some degree if you treat it right and put it through the right exercises and do the right things. And um, if you're eating carbs all the time... You're putting gray sugar into your brain. How is that helping? If it doesn't help your body, how could that help your brain? Exactly. There's, there's probably not anybody in the world that knows that sugar's not good for them. Oh, I think but, everybody. Oh, but we still drink Dr. Peppers like they're going out of style. And and come on, we're in the South. We drink our sweet tea, you know. And if it's not flowing with sugar, it ain't sweet enough. And yet, it really does harm your body. Listen, you know what? Where I learned even before you introduced me to Dr. Amen, the 7525 principle, when I got into bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. So listen, if you got to have more protein to build your muscles, your brain, folks, is a muscle. It's an right. organ, but it's a muscle. And so if, it, if what you eat feeds your biceps, it's going to feed your brain. Absolutely. It's about being balanced in all areas. I mean, we have to have the right amount of spirituality. We have to have the right amount of physical health. We have to have the right amount of emotional health. We have to, I mean, even financial health 
plays a part in it. We have to be balanced in all areas of life. Fellowship and friendship and fun and all of those things play a part. And if any of them gets off, it knocks off the whole rest of the body. That's right. Um, when you're looking at guys like Dr. Amen, um, one of the things that you kind of got me really, really interested in was how, how the brain fires, how it activates, you know, I'm still, dude, I still read almost every, I've still, I've read his book twice, by the way, the new one that I sent you the picture of, I've read it twice now. Um, but just how the brain, uh, fires and, um, you know, I think when we got mine done or whatever, we kind of figured out that mine was a ring of fire. It was just kind of crazy. You know, it's, it's, and what they mean by that, if I'm, if I remember correctly, is that basically all the major areas of the brain are firing at the same time. Yeah. And so that's that anger thing. And too much. Our brains are supposed to fire, but they're firing too much. And, and of course, in the area that controls anger, Mm -hmm. uh, they're firing at the same time, but they're firing too much also. So you're getting, you know, I mean, it depends on what you're looking at, but too much adrenaline, too much serotonin, too much, you know, all of those chemicals have to be balanced in your brain correctly in order for you to function correctly. You know, another thing that, that is very popular in our culture that people don't think about its effects on the brain, alcohol. Absolutely. And marijuana. Well, let's talk about those information. Talk about how alcohol affects the brain a little bit. Kills brain cells. Okay. That's what everybody says, but what does that really mean? I mean, too bad. I can't show a picture on a, (laughs) On an audio thing, uh, in a three-dimensional picture, what it shows is the parts of the brain that the neurotransmitters are responding the way they're supposed to. Too much alcohol, too much marijuana, mental health, whether it's ADD, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. It means that there are parts of the brain that the neurotransmitters are not responding the way they're supposed to. And those are what we call the brain cells. So if you have too much alcohol, then you're killing those brain cells and there's no neurotransmitters going off there. Again, it has to be a balance. It has to be a healthy balance. All these people hear this constantly that want marijuana, the THC, for anxiety. And I hear it with, especially with kids because they can take a little THC and their anxiety goes away. The problem is the brain scans show The more THC you have, the less brain cells you have. And everybody says, oh, it's not harming. Oh, it's not damaging. Oh, they've they've put it, made it legal now. So? Right. Doesn't mean it's good for your brain. It doesn't. And um, people that struggle with depression, I mean, you can can literally eat yourself into depression. Or drink yourself. Or drink yourself into depression. You think you're using it as an escape mechanism, you know, like alcohol, but alcohol is a depressant. You know, and so it just is if you're someone who is already depressed, alcohol only is going to intensify because right. it itself is is a depressant. And it um, I just I, I want my listeners to understand that one of the best things you can do is is uh, and I'm going to put a link to um, Dr. Amen um, here in, in this description is go and start. First of all, read everything this man puts out. It'll change your life. Secondly. Learn how important your diet is, not just to your waistline, but to your brain function. You know, um, there are depending upon and and why you need to find people like 
Miss Teresa Davis. Um, if you're in Oklahoma City, you need to come see her. Let her help you. Because based on the different type of mental health issue you have, um, they actually can prescribe some diets, some different types of things to eat that can help heal some of that while you're dealing with your pain and you're learning to cope with your triggers and retraining your body um, on how to function. Um, you mentioned, you know, the whole idea of coping. It, it, in many ways, it's kind of like if we understand it as a nerve that's been exposed, it's like when a doctor hits you on your knee and it's an automatic reflex. And that's what right. that's what we've taught ourselves to do. Right. Right. And what happens is when you're a child and and let's take sexual abuse, because I have so many clients that have been sexually abused in some way or another. And um, during that time, and, and, you know, a lot of kids, some of their sexual abuse starts when they're, you know, children and it goes into their adolescence and teenage years. They learn how to shut down emotionally and disconnect and not be there anymore in order to cope with what's happening to them. Well, if they don't learn new coping skills, they use those same coping skills the rest of their life for survival. That's just what they learn how to do. With my anger, my dad was a very, very angry man. And I wasn't allowed to express any emotions, but I had the anger. I just wasn't allowed to show it. So what did I do as soon as I got married? All that anger, Mm -hmm. it came out. I learned that coping mechanism from him. Mm-hmm. We we learn those coping mechanisms. We we adapt to whatever situation we're in, and then we continue to use those same coping mechanisms through our lifetime until we learn that that's a functional coping mechanism. Right. What would you say? Um, um, what would you say to someone who is struggling with depression? Um, what is there anything that you could share with them uh, besides? Hey go to counseling, <laughs> but just to somebody who's struggling with depression, what, what would you say to someone like that? Well, I think it depends on their level of depression because I have people that come in at, in all different levels of depression. If they are in the state where they're just feeling depressed, but they're still able to function, it's different than somebody that can't get out of bed. Right. You know, it, it depends on their level of depression, but some of the things I recommend almost immediately, first off, unless they can't get out of bed, and I even recommend it and try to get them to do it, is to exercise. Really? Exercise is the most natural way to get your brain back functioning and producing the right amount of serotonin. So I say even if you walk, walk around the block, just get up out of bed and do something because that's a natural way to get your brain back functioning the way it's supposed to. Um, If they are severely depressed, and I've had so many clients that have come in that are, I recommend they go to their medical doctor and get on an antidepressant. And, of course, everybody thinks that as soon as they get on a medication, that's a lifetime commitment. Right. And they know, while we're working through these issues, let's get on an antidepressant and let's look at it six months from now. And if you're doing really well, let's taper off the medicine and see how you're doing. And you might not need it anymore. Right. So it's not a lifetime commitment because you're trying something to help you get better. Um, isolation is really bad for people that have depression, that are struggling with depression. So, you know, recommending that they get out, not just walking, not just the exercise part, but go to church, get involved in a support group, go, you know, get involved. If there's somebody that doesn't work, go volunteer, go be right. a candy striper at the hospital. 
do something to get yourself out because isolation is really hard on people that are depressed. Which is kind of interesting when I think I'm going to, I may be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think everybody experiences depression at one time or another in, in their life. Um, and I know when I went, when I've experienced that, the natural reaction is to isolate yourself. Right. Exactly. That's what we do. We withdraw. And there's two different kinds of depression, too. There's situational depression, which happens when a traumatic event happens in your life. It could be a death. It could be a loss. It could be, you know, anything traumatic that's happened to you, uh, finding out your spouse has had an affair. Anything that's major can cause you to go into a depression. That's a temporary situational depression. And that's the kind that we work on on temporary medication. Right. also depression that's a chemical imbalance mm-hmm. and a chemical imbalance you can't just talk yourself through that's a chemical imbalance in your brain and you need something to balance that chemical out so exercise is the number one thing but that usually is not enough right. for somebody that has a chemical imbalance um so you know it's just so many there's so many different aspects and i can usually find out by talking about their history is this something you've struggled with all your life or is this something that just came on as a result of a circumstance if it's something they've struggled with all their life there's a chance that it's a chemical imbalance when i worked in the in a school several years teaching um i was amazed how many kids um had anger issues, um, you know, um, some of them and, and, and they would be the kids that it wasn't just anger. It was just, they were different. They, they, they thought the way their brain functioned was different. And so, um, sadly, some of, you know, those become kind of ostracized and, and put out, pushed out, you know, because nobody under really understands, you know, that there are some people, man, they just, they think in on such a level that, that I think some of them were just bored at school because it wasn't challenging enough for them. Right. You know, what would you say to a parent who has a kid like that, 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 um, just seems different. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, um, they can't control their reactions. Um, but yeah, get get them tested for what? Get them tested. A mental health test, which will tell, well, A lot of it, a counselor can tell from a history. You can sit and talk to a parent and a child and you can get a history and you can kind of find out um, where they're coming from and why they are where they're at. But a lot of times it takes a test. A test will tell them whether or not they have oppositional defiance or if they have an aggressive disorder or if they have ADHD, which causes them to be impulsive. Mm -hmm. And anger is part of that ADD almost every single time. Um, it, it just depends on, um, their history. You look at their, you know, you have to look at their history, but I'm going to say something people aren't going to like, but I would say that 95% of the time when I have kids that come in that have those kind of issues, I have to look at their home environment because it's playing a major part in the way they're Mm -hmm. acting. Yeah. And I think some of the, some of the kids that I was thinking about today, um, that I know, um, you know, the home environment 
was. Now, not in every case, because one kid I'm thinking of right now, you know, I know they were in a great home life. It was just um, uh, he was just incredibly intelligent and uh, would get bored with the stupidness of the rest of the students. And so his way of dealing with that was outbursts. And cause he was like, why isn't everybody else thinking this way? You know? Um, but and a lot of that is just education. A lot of it is just teaching them the right way to think. I mean, and that is example that you used just now. That's a perfect example of unrealistic expectations. Just because you see it that way doesn't mean everyone else in the world sees it that way. Right. You're expecting people to see things the way you do, even though you're raised in different environments, by different parents and different situations. You can't expect other people to look at things the same way you do. And a lot of times just giving people that knowledge is so eye-opening to them that it helps them to change. Most definitely. Well, folks, I'm here to tell you mental health is a big deal. And just like we've talked today, if you're going to feed your body right to grow muscles or you're going to feed your body in such a way to drop weight, you need to feed your body right so you learn to think right. Um, I believe as a as a God-fearing person that God can help us uh, think differently. But I also believe he gives us the tools to reframe our brain, yeah, to reframe the way that we're going to think and for so many of us even you that are listening there are times that you react or you think in ways that you don't think you can control it and the truth is is that god can help give you that control that you're looking for and then counseling can help you deal with the real root issues that's driving your behavior i firmly believe pain drives behavior and we can't just do behavior management we've got to hurt Hurt people. Hurting people do hurt people. And we got to learn to go get the pain, heal the pain, heal the hurts, and then let others and God reframe the way that we think. And you'll find that you can live life in a way that you think right now is probably impossible. Yeah. Well, Teresa, I am thankful that you are here today. This is our first one with you. I wanted to introduce everyone to you. I'm going to have Teresa back. We're going to do a maybe a couple of podcasts we're going to deal with anger this is something that you've written a book on yeah and um there's a workbook that goes with it and uh we're going to spend some time talking about anger how you dealt with anger and how we can help people um deal with their anger issues yeah so will you come back and do that with me absolutely (laughs) well again thank you so much for being here and um you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson he goes to counseling for those of you that didn't know that and he said one of the reasons that he goes to counseling is because it taught him that the best way to heal is not to heal by yourself absolutely and, I, and I'm here to tell you life is way too short to walk alone get somebody in your life that you can be real with that can help show you the things you can't see those blind spots go to a counselor go to church But just take control of your life because you deserve to live your best life ever. Thanks again for being with us today on the Renewed You podcast. We'll see you next time.